All right, so um, today is uh, an interesting passage of Scripture we're going to be in. I'm going to ask if you would turn your Bible to 2 Kings chapter 17, and then also, hey, Kathy, can you grab that door? 2 Kings chapter 17, and also find the prophet Hosea. It's probably been a hot second since you've been in the book of Hosea. Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Nahum, right? So you're working, find your, find your major prophets and hang a right, and you'll find the book of Hosea. You'll need that queued up, but we're going to start in 2 Kings chapter 17. If you're a guest with us, we're glad that you are here. It makes my day that you chose to to come and, and be a part of what we are doing here. Also on su- Sunday mornings, guys, this is our gathering time. This is, this is where we come to get challenged, to get encouraged. Uh, we have times of equipping and, and uh, those type of things in our fellowships and discipleship and Wednesday nights. And, but this is a time to just gather together around the Word of God to see what He has in store for us corporately so that we can gather to scatter because that's how I view a Sunday morning. Man, I look forward to this because you've all been serving the Lord throughout the week, right, in your own spheres of influence. And we're going to gather together this morning to open up the Word, and then we're going to scatter and go do it again, right? We're get, that's what we do. And so when we get to this passage of 2 Kings chapter 17, I, when, anytime I read through this passage about once a year, um, it just makes me sad. I just get sad about chapter 15 to 17 because I know how it ends, right? It's like one of those books you just read a few times, you know how it ends, you're hoping that a story changes and maybe somebody will get right with Jesus, but they, they don't. And it's just a sad, sad story of the nation of Israel just on a downward spiral and it lands, lands them in apostasy. And just a couple of questions I have to maybe just get us going, to get us thinking, do you know of anybody in your life? someone that you know used to be so faithful to the Lord, walking with the Lord, and now they're so far away. Do you know somebody like that? Or maybe that's been you. Maybe you are that individual. Or, man, I just know that we are in the last days, the last days. Man, does the state of the church bother you? I mean, it does me. I mean, I just look at, I understand the days and the times, and we are in the Laodicean church age, but Man, the state of God's church, the body of Christ, is in a downward spiral through apostasy. And man, it just breaks my heart. And when you turn to 2 Kings chapter 17, I'm going to ask if you would look at verse 7. And I'm going to state an obvious thing, right? So here's your first point for study God's people are not always faithful to serve the Lord. Did you know that? I know that's like you came to church to hear that. Right, God's people are not always faithful to serve the Lord. And so the sermon title I have for us today is to call on us to be faithful amongst the unfaithful. Because I just, we gotta get this on, on the surface, we gotta just get this out now. People are not always interested in serving the Lord. And I got news for you, there are people in this room today, there's people watching online that aren't necessarily interested in serving the Lord. But are you willing to be one of the faithful in the midst of the unfaithful? That's the question on the table. And so the first point I have for you is that God's people are not always faithful to serve the Lord. And so 2 Kings chapter 17, and this is on the heels of a whole lot of stuff that happens in chapters 15 and 16. And the beginning of chapter 17, if the Lord allows, maybe we'll cover that next week. But I really believe this is the message that God has for us. So look at verse 7. 
2 Kings chapter 17 and verse 7, and I want you to be mindful of what's happening here with the nation of Israel, those, two, those 10 tribes to the north and how they're following up way. They're separating themselves from the Lord, and they are in a downward spiral that's going to lead them into complete apostasy, verse 7. It says, and so it was that the children of Israel had sinned against the Lord their God, which had brought them up out of the land of Egypt from under the hand of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and had feared other gods and walked in the statutes of the heathen, whom the Lord cast out from before the children of Israel and the kings of Israel, which they had made. And the children of Israel did secretly, pay attention to that, that's interesting. The children of Israel did secretly those things which are not right against the Lord their God. And they built them high places all their, in all their cities, from the tower of the watchman to the fence city. And they set them up images and groves in every high hill and under every green tree. And there they burnt incense in all the high places, as did the heathen whom the Lord carried away before them, and wrought wicked things to provoke the Lord to anger. And check this out. For they served idols, whereof the Lord had said unto them, ye shall not do this thing. So what's interesting to me is he starts off with them coming out of Egypt, way back there in Exodus chapter 12 and 13 and 14, which is a picture of our salvation. If you remember, not long after they've come out of Egypt, they go into the wilderness and then God calls Moses up to Mount Sinai and immediately they build, they make these golden calves and say, behold your gods, which brought you out of Egypt. And they walk away from the Lord and begin to serve Balaam. So they do that immediately. And then they go into the times, of the, they finally get in the promised land. They go through the times of the judges, Joshua and the judges and the beginnings of the kings. And they never, Israel to the north never does what's right ever. In fact, their first king, Jeroboam, sets a horrible precedent and says, we are going to be a kingdom of idolaters. We're going to say we serve the Lord, but it's going to look like idolatry. And it, it just snowballs from there and it culminates to what we're going to read today in 2 Kings chapter 17, where God says, that's it. I can't stomach it anymore. I got to deal with this. And so on the surface, I'm just telling you, the subject matter is not fun today because somebody's not doing what's right. But there is a chunk of people who are faithful in the, amongst the unfaithful. And that's what I'm asking us to be. Please be faithful amongst the unfaithful and learn from what it looks like. Because let's be honest, it is difficult to watch somebody you know, somebody you love, somebody who was once faithful to no longer be serving the Lord to, it's hard to watch that. It's hard to see it from a distance. It's hard to watch it up close and see somebody in a downward spiral. In fact, Psalm 12 and verse 1 might just be your heart. Psalm 12 verse 1, it says, help Lord. Why? Why would, why would we cry out to the Lord? Because the godly man ceaseth. For the godly man ceaseth, and look at this, for the faithful fail from among the children of men. That should be our heart right now. We live in the Odyssean church age. We are in the last days of the last days. This is the last church age before the Lord calls the rapture of the church. The Lord calls us out, right? And the state of the church is just like this. Where are the godly people? Where are the godly people? All right, so we need to glean from this. All right, so that, the first point was that God's people are not always faithful to serve the Lord. But here's the second one. God always has a faithful remnant who will serve the Lord. Will you be one of them? 
Because look at verse 13. So we read verses 7 to 12, and you just saw the snowball. You saw how bad it gets. And they're serving idols, and they're climbing up on every green tree, and they're burning incense to all these idols. But look at verse 13. Yet the Lord testified against Israel, against Judah, by all his, what? Prophets. All his prophets. There is a faithful remnant who's ready and willing to grab their Bible, proclaim truth to those who need to hear it. Now, what's interesting is in this three chapters of Scripture, 2 Kings 15 to 2 Kings chapter 17, there's a chunk of prophets that write during this time. Micah writes during this time. Isaiah writes his 66 chapters during this time. Amos and, and Hosea. And I've asked you to turn your Bibles to Hosea because I'd like to dive into that story just for a moment. We're not going to look at the entire book. And don't lose your spot in 2 Kings. We're going to go back there in just a few moments. But I'd like you to go to Hosea chapter 1. Did everybody find the book of Hosea? All right, because I don't have any of those verses on the screen. So if you don't have a Bible, there should be one close to you. Pull out your phone. I would love you to look at this. And maybe this is the first time you've ever heard this story. So in the midst of a nation that's absolutely turning into a cesspool, God calls on this guy named Hosea. And says, Hosea, I got a job for you. And Hosea says, oh, yeah, what's that? Well, I, I know you're a single dude. He goes, yeah, man, I'm single. I've been, trusting, I've been trusting you for a wife. Would you just bring me somebody? He goes, I got just the one. Oh, yeah, who is it? It's a prostitute. Say, 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 say what? Yeah, I, I want you to go marry a prostitute. Like somebody who used to be a prostitute? No, that's what she's doing. That's what I want you to do. I want you to go marry a prostitute. Hosea chapter 1 and verse 2. It says, The beginning of the word of the Lord by Hosea, and the Lord said unto Hosea, Go, take unto thee a wife of whoredoms and children of whoredoms, for the land hath committed great whoredom, departing from the Lord. Those are called strong words. Would you say that's strong words? That's called strong words, verse 3. So he went and took Gomer, the daughter of Diblium, which conceived and bare him a son. So you got me a wife, Lord? Yeah, yeah, she's a prostitute. Uh, what's her name? Her name's Gomer. <laughs> Come on now. Like, I guarantee that is not what Hosea had ever imagined his future wife would be. Number one, a prostitute. And number two, Gomer. I mean, how do you come up with a sweet nickname out of that? You just don't, Right? Now, let me give you a couple definitions here because Hosea's name means something. It means deliverer or it means deliverance or savior or salvation. That's what his name means. And so God calls out this guy named deliverance, this guy named Hosea and says, I want you to get married. I want you to get married to this woman and she's a prostitute and her name is Gomer. Well, what does her name mean? It's got to mean something good. Well, her name means come to an end. Like it's finished. And by the way, this is, sometimes when things end, that's a good thing. But this is in a connotation of something bad, right? You ever been to one of those plays or concerts or whatever, and everybody's clapping, not because it was good, but because it's over, <laughs> right? Kind of one of those settings. This is Gomer. Her name means it's over. That's what, that's what her name means. Wait, look. Look at my sweet little girl. What's her name? It's over. Oh, okay. Whew. no more children after this one. All right, so then they get married. Sure enough, he takes her and, and they get married, but then they have children. 
And she bears him a son. You see that in verse 3, but check out verse 4. And the Lord said unto him, call his name Jezreel. That's a good, that's Jez, right? Jezebel. That's not good. But Jezreel, what's his name mean? Jezreel means God will disperse seed. God will disperse seed. That's what his name means. Well, then they, so they have a little boy and his name's Jezreel. God's going to sow. God's going to disperse seed. Okay, well, that's, that's an interesting name, but well, check out his sister's name. You see this in verse six. And she conceived again and bare a daughter. And God said unto her, call her named Lo Ruamah, for I will no more have mercy upon the house of Israel, but I will utterly take them away. Oh, what's, oh, look at my little girl. What's her name? Um, her name is No Mercy. That's what her name means. No Mercy. Whew. That's, a, that's a rough, rough name. Well, they have a third kid. They have a third kid. Look at verse 8. Now, when she had weaned Lo Rama, she conceived and bare a son and and then God said, God, call his name Noami, for you're not my people, and I will not be your God. Whew. Hey, what's, what's Noami's name? Well, his, his name means uh, not my kid, not my people. Can you imagine being born? Hey, what, what, what's your name? Not my kid. Woo! <laughs> that might fit in Southeast Kansas, you know what I mean? That might fit anywhere. I mean, whew, you never know. Well, it's not my kid. Loamis, this kid, these people have to carry these names because God ordained that this, this is what their names are going to be. Well, sure enough, they have these kids and they set them a nice little home life. But inside of Gomer is that, is that former girl, right? She's a prostitute at heart. And sure enough, she steps out on her husband. And she says, I'm done with the family life. I'm going to leave my wife. I'm going to leave my kids and I'm going to go do my thing. Look at chapter two. So God tells Hosea to plead with his wife to stop cheating on him. And so he did. Verse two. He says, plead with your mother. So he grabs his kids. He says, would you just plead with your mother? Plead for she is not my wife. Neither am I her husband. Let her therefore put away her whoredoms out of her sight and her adulteries from between her breasts. All right, keep, keep reading. Check out verse five. For their mother had played the harlot. She that conceived them had done shamefully. For she said, here's what it was in her heart when she steps out on her husband. I will go after my lovers. After what? My lovers that giveth me my bread and my water and my wool and my flax and mine oil and my drink. It's all about her. She wants stuff. She wants materialism. She wants to be taken care of. She wants a sugar daddy. Let's just be honest. That's what she's looking for. That's what she wants. But she never gets what she wants. Verse 7. And she shall follow after her lovers, constantly chasing down men, chasing down somebody who's going to reach her where she wants to be, but she shall not overtake them. She never catches what she wants. And she shall seek them, but she shall not find them. And then shall she say, I'll go and return to my first husband. She's had a whole lot of men, but she's only been married once. You know what I mean? For then was it better with me than now. So she's like, hey, I want to go back. But here's a problem. She's gone so far down now that she's got an employer. You know what that word is, and I'm not going to say it on a Sunday morning. Right? That's, she's got, now she's got an employer. Somebody that's in charge of her job, Right? 
And so God says, hey, go, go find your wife. Tell her to stop cheating on her, uh, on you. And so he, he does that. And then chapter three, God says, now, I know you loved her. I know you took her, you did exactly what I asked you. And you raised up children and, and then she cheated on you, but I'm asking you to take her back. So he does. Hosea takes her back, verse one, chapter three, verse one. Then said the Lord unto me, go yet, love a woman beloved of her friend, yet an adulteress. So she's beloved of her friend, but y'all, she's an adulteress according to the love of the Lord toward the children of Israel. Will you love her like I do? Who look to other gods and love flagons of wine. So I bought her to me. Doesn't say brought, what does it say? I bought. He had to pay off the debt. He had to pay what it, what it took to get her out from underneath her employer. Y'all picking up what I'm putting down. I'm trying to be wise with my little ears in here. So he pays off what it takes to get her. 15 pieces of silver and for an omer of barley and a half omer of barley. And I said unto her, thou shalt abide for me many days. Thou shalt not play the harlot and thou shalt not be for another man. So will I also be for thee. Maybe you're asking a question right now. Like, listen, I'm, I've told the Lord I'm happy to do whatever he wants me to do, but I, I don't know about that, right? I mean, honest question, why was God willing to have Hosea go through all of that? I'm going to tell you why. Because that's what God was going through with his people. Simple, simple answer. God had Hosea go through all of that because he is the object lesson for the nation of Israel. That's what he does. Now, he's got a host to say in the rest of the book. We're not going to look at that. You can look at that on your own. But Hosea becomes the object lesson for the Jewish people. And so Hosea is a picture of God the Father, and Gomer is a picture of the nation of Israel, and the children are, are a picture of the children of Israel who caught up in the middle of it. And so national Israel has bounced on God the Father and has cheated on him. And so God divorces and then God's going to restore. That's the whole story of Hosea. And that is what's happening here in 2 Kings. When Hosea is writing to them, he's getting to the point where God says, you're done. Now I'm gonna restore you in the future, but it's gonna go really bad for you because I can't stomach you cheating on me anymore. All right, next point then. God always sends his faithful remnant to call the unfaithful to repentance. Go back to second, you can lose your spot in Hosea. Go back to second Kings chapter 17 and look at verse 13. Because God always sends his faithful remnant to call the unfaithful to repentance. So we've only read the portion of verse 13. Let's read it again. Yet the Lord testified against Israel and against Judah by all the prophets and by all the seers saying, turn ye from your evil ways. Simple. Keep my commandments and my statutes according to all the law which I commanded your fathers and which I sent to you by my servants, the prophets. So God takes his faithful remnant, these prophets and says, go preach, go proclaim, go speak truth 
to them. You need to get them to understand their need for repentance. And you might be thinking, yeah, but I don't know that it's, it's worth all of that that Hosea got to. Hosea had to go through all of that. Why? Why would God allow Hosea to do that? But then also the next question is, why would Hosea allow God to do that to him? I mean, what a stand-up guy Hosea must have been. Now, he might have been ugly as all get out and had no chance of getting a girl. I don't know. But I do know this. I know this. He was willing to do what God asked him to do. And why was he willing to do that? I'm going to tell you what I think his reasoning was. Hosea was willing because he saw the spiritual state of his people. He saw how bad it was. Now, we read verses 7 to 12, and you're like, eh, I mean, they're doing idolatry, and I know, but they still got the temple. They're still doing the thing. Listen, I don't think you understand just how bad it got. Look at verse 14. So he sends the remnant to them, calls them to repentance, and verse 14 says this, notwithstanding, they would not, what's the word? Hear, they would not hear, but harden their necks like the neck of their fathers that did not believe in the Lord their God. You see, Hosea understood the spiritual state of his, of his people. You see, spiritual apostasy always begins with the refusal to hear God's voice. Boom. They would not hear. Let me ask you this question then. Are you in a spiral and you don't even know it? Because if you have not put yourself in a position to hear the word of God on the daily, to hear from him, to receive his words, I'm telling you, you are in a spiral and you may not even know it. So he sends messengers, they don't hear. Now, I think Hosea sees the state of his people. Oh, we're not even done. See, all they did was like, not hear, but verse 15. And they rejected his statutes and his covenant. We just sang about a covenant and his covenant that he made with their fathers and his testimonies, which he testified against them. And they followed vanity and became vain and went after the heathen that were round about them concerning whom the Lord had charged them that they should not do like unto them. All right, so they're not listening to the word of God. They're not being obedient. Oh, I mean, I, mean, I, I, do, that, I do that all the time. Yes, yeah, Spiral. Because it's not long until it gets even worse. Verse 16. And they left all the commandments of the Lord their God. So it's not enough they weren't listening to them. Now they've rejected them. And made them molten images. Even two calves and made a grove and worshipped all the hosts of heaven. And served Baal. Oh, it gets worse than that. Verse 17. And they caused their sons and their daughters to pass through the fire. They are giving living sacrifices of their own children to false gods. I'm telling you, I would never sacrifice my kid. Oh, really? Happens all the time. Happens all the time. Figurative and literally. And used divination and enchantments and sold themselves to do evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. Why would Hosea marry a prostitute? Why would he have children with her knowing she's gonna cheat? Knowing she's gonna go sell herself. Knowing that he's gotta go rescue her from whatever that must have been like. 
to bring her home and clean her up and restore her and have relationship with her again. Why would he go through all of that? Because he knows that's what's going on with his people. And he knows that there's going to be a moment, there's going to be a time where God is no longer willing to stomach it. And so it always begins with God, with, with us beginning to refuse to hear from the Lord. But here's how it ends. It always ends with God relieving us of our duties. Here's the next point. God will always judge the unfaithful for refusing to be faithful. You see, there's a point where God just says, I'm long-suffering, I'm long-suffering. Mason was just talking about this. I'm long-suffering, I'm long-suffering. In fact, 2 Peter chapter 3, I think it's verse 9 to 12, 9 to 15, the long-suffering Lord is salvation. He's providing you opportunity to get right. But notice what it says here in verse 18. Therefore, the Lord was very angry with Israel and, what's the next word? Removed them. You're disqualified. Disqualified from your role. Disqualified from your place. I'm removing you from the land. Oh, verse 19. Also Judah kept not the commandments of the Lord their God, but walked in the statutes of Israel, which they had made. And the Lord rejected all the seed of Israel and afflicted them and delivered them into the hand of spoilers, that's the king of Assyria, until he had cast them out of his sight. You see, Hosea knew the state of his people. Hosea knew that God's, God's cup was getting full of wrath and there's gonna be a moment where he has to pour it out. Hosea was willing to do whatever it took to be the object lesson, to speak truth and to live truth so that maybe, just maybe, somebody would get right with the Lord. So when I'm telling you to be faithful amongst the unfaithful, that's sometimes what it looks like to do crazy stuff for the Lord. All right, so let's, let's bring this down then because we have to allow Hosea and the nation of Israel to become the object lesson for us because we can, it's easy to look at me and that nation of Israel. Would they just not get it right? Well, how about the church, man? How about us? We gotta get it right too because we're not exempt. And so next point, what can I do? Because I don't want to be someone caught in a downward spiral. Praise the Lord. I hope that's your response. What can I do? Because I don't want to be like that. I don't want to do that. I don't want that to be me. Remember how it begins? A spiral, downward spiral and apostasy always begins with not hearing the voice of the Lord. So let me give you Revelation chapter 3 and verse 20. During that Laodicean church age where Jesus is no longer in the church, he's on the outside of the church. What's he saying? He says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my, my voice. Right there. Now, every church that God deals with in chapter 2 and chapter 3 of Revelation... God deals with them entirely as a group. But the Laodiceans, he calls them out individually. This is an individual call to you. This is an individual call to me. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. In other words, Jesus is saying, I'm not even welcome in my own church. And I'm knocking and I have something to say to you. And I'm knocking and I'm on the outside going, hello, I would love to come in with you. I would love to have a relationship with you. Would you open the door? And I will come into him. I will sup with him and he with me. So what can I do? I would say heed the voice of God. Put yourself in a position to receive from the Lord, to hear his voice. 
Just start there. If you're not reading on the daily, start there. If you're not hearing from the Lord, start there. Because individually, I'm just telling you, individually, there are a host of believers who are in a downward spiral of apostasy because they're departing from their faith. 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 1. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times, hello, that's where we live, some shall depart from the faith. Well, why would they do that? Because they gave heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. They stopped hearing the voice of the Lord and started listening to some Yehu. Some list somebody else. They started listening to their own thoughts. They started listening to something else. They departed from the faith. That happens on an individual level, but man, I'm telling you, it also happens on a corporate level. Look what God says about this church. Revelation chapter 3, verse 16. So then that thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. All right, so corporately, the body of Christ, I mean, not just HBC, I'm talking about the corporate body of Christ. We are on a collision course with, with Laodicea and its ultimate removal. Just like God takes the nation of Israel out, just like God takes the nation of Judah out, God is going to do the exact same thing with the church. Now, I'm going to say a hard saying. This is very hard. We are a dispensational church. We believe that God functions dispensationally throughout time as he deals with his people. How God deals with the Adam and Eve in the garden is completely different than how God deals with us today, right? In the Old Testament, the Spirit of God came upon men and left men. In the New Testament, the Spirit of God indwells men. We are sealed with the Spirit. Praise the Lord. But in every dispensation, God has a steward, gives them a responsibility. Here's what I want you to do every Every dispensation has somebody who's in charge of that responsibility. In every single dispensation, that steward fails. And every, at the end of that dispensation, God removes that steward and installs a new one. Okay? We as a church, not just HBC, corporately the entire body of Christ, we are in what's called Laodicean church age, the end of this dispensation, the church age. And God will hold us accountable. And he will remove us. That's called the rapture of the church. Now, time out. Is it wrong to look forward to the rapture of the church? I don't think so. I think that's kind of cool. I mean, isn't it kind of cool? But at the same time, understand it's God's judgment. The rapture of the church is God's judgment saying, okay, you're done. Get out of the way. I need to get right back to my bride, Israel. That's all the whole period of the tribulation is for. The second coming of Christ, all of that, the millennial reign, it's all about getting Israel restored. It's Hosea chapter 3. But the bride has us, the bride of Christ, has to be out of the way, and God readdresses the attention, all right? So that is the case. God will spew his church out of the mouth. Okay, that happens corporately. And then what happens immediately after the rapture of the church, we go to what's called the Judgment seat of Christ, right? First Corinthians chapter three, or Romans chapter 14. We go to the judgment seat of Christ and we're held accountable, not for our sin because that's dealt with at the cross, but for what we've done for the Lord since our salvation. We're held accountable to that. Will you be found faithful or unfaithful? 
And let me tell you, I'm not the one who determines that. That's between you and Jesus. But I got news for you. It's impossible to be faithful without the word of God. It's impossible. Well, how can you dare say that? Because my Bible dares say that. Faith cometh with hearing and hearing by the word of God. So what can I do? Because I don't want to be someone caught in a downward spiral. But here's the next question. What can I do? Because I don't want to watch someone caught in a downward spiral. Maybe you're thinking, Tony, I'm I'm in the word. I'm memorizing scripture. I'm discipling. I'm engaged in ministry. Praise the Lord. Be faithful amongst the unfaithful. Praise the Lord. But your question should be, then what do I do? Because I don't want to watch somebody I love and somebody I know depart from the faith. What do I do? Two things. The first one, and just side note, really, because maybe the Lord will let us deal with this next week. Be willing to learn from Israel's example. Be willing to learn from their example and what a downward spiral into apostasy really looks like. And now you're going to have to study chapters 15 to 17 to get that. 17 is the end of the story. And maybe just maybe next week we'll be like Paul Harvey and get the rest of it. Right? The rest of the story. Some of you are old enough to know what I'm talking about. Some of y'all find YouTube. You'll find it. Second thing though. So what do I do? Yeah, be willing to learn from their example. This is the big one. Be willing to be used by God to minister the word to others. Simple. Be willing to be used by God to minister his word to others. And you might be thinking, because this is what I would be thinking too, but you don't understand I'm not a pastor. I'm no Sunday school teacher. God can't use me. Be careful when you say things like that. But God can't use me. Oh, really? Tony, you don't understand. My marriage is a wreck. My marriage isn't right. Okay, then. He used Hosea, didn't he? He used a married man whose spouse made him feel like he should have stayed single. Maybe that's where you are. My marriage isn't right. God can't use me. He used Hosea. Maybe you're thinking, well, you don't understand. My, my heart's right, but I just don't know that I'm ready. I don't know that I'm, I'm prepared. I, I'm broken, but I just don't know what to do. God used Micah. He used a man who was broken and was praying to God for the spiritual state of his people. Micah chapter 7 and verse 1. Micah chapter 7 verse 1. And this is what Micah said. Woe is me. Woe is me, for I am as when they have gathered the summer fruits, as the grape leanings of the vintage. There is no cluster to eat. My soul desired the first root fry. And I, it goes, woe is me. There's a time of gleaning, a time of harvest, and I see nothing. Micah's brokenhearted for the state of his people. Micah chapter 7 and verse 7. Therefore, I will look unto the Lord. I will wait for the Lord of my God's salvation. My God will hear me. God can't, God can't use me. We need prayer warriors. Don't we? Tony, I'm just not, I'm just not prepared. I haven't got the goods. Okay. Pray. Beseech the Lord like Micah. Tony, you, you, I didn't grow up in church. I, I don't even know all of my books in my Bible. 
Yeah, yeah, me either. I remember sitting in church right after I got saved, and I couldn't tell you where the book of Matthew was, and I'm looking at the table of contents. Maybe that's you. Praise the Lord, I'm glad you're here, because that was me just a few years ago. Well, God took a guy like that and used him. His name is Amos. He's, he's a man with no spiritual background whatsoever. Look what Amos says in Amos chapter 7, verses 14 and 15. It says, Then answered Amos and said to Amaziah, I was no prophet, neither was I a prophet's son. In other words, there's no spiritual background in me whatsoever. But I was an herdman. I took care of the sheep and gathered sycamore fruit. I was like a farmer. And the Lord took me as I followed the flock. And the Lord said unto me, go prophesy to my people Israel. Why ain't nobody at it? This isn't in my heritage. This isn't my background. God still wants to use you. Maybe your name's Amos. But he used a guy named Isaiah. Now, Isaiah gets a lot of attention because he writes a really long book full of application. It's an amazing book. But he uses Isaiah. And maybe you're thinking, yeah, but what if I do this and I pour my guts out and there's, like, no one's going to listen to me? I mean, who would listen to me? Well, I don't know if this is comfort or what, but check this passage out. Isaiah chapter 6, verses 8 and 9. Also, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send? And who will go for us? Then said I, here am I. So God's speaking and says, who's going to go? And Isaiah says, hey, I'm your man. I'm your huckleberry. I'll do it. Verse 9, and he said, go and, and tell this people, hear ye indeed, but understand not, and see ye indeed, but perceive not. I don't think that's exactly what I, Isaiah was thinking, right? Hey, who's going to go? I'll go. Okay, do it. But I want you to speak, and I want you to do all that. Just, just know that they're not going to perceive, and they're not going to understand. Okay, yeah, but I'm willing to do that, I guess, but yeah, how, how long? How long is that? I mean, that's not the ministry I'm looking for. I, I kind of want people to listen to me. That's really not the ministry I'm kind of, can, can I draw again, like go fish? I want to do something else. You know, I want to redraw my cards, and no, God says this in verses 11 and 12. Then said I, Lord, how long? And he answered, until the cities be wasted without inhabitant, and the houses without man, and the land be utterly desolate. And the Lord have removed men far, far away, and there be a great forsaking in the midst of the land. Oh, like, that's encouraging. Isn't it? That's real encouraging. I came to church for that. Yeah. I came to church for that. Because God just might be calling you out, Hosea. God just might be calling you out, Micah. God just might be calling you out, Amos. God just might be calling you out, Isaiah. Well, I, okay. I guess I'm willing to serve the Lord because I don't want anybody to go through this downward spiral. I guess I'm willing to do it. Will you do it even though no one's going to listen? Will you do it until the end? Well, how long are we supposed to do this thing? How long am I supposed to keep discipling? How long do I keep doing the Sunday school thing? How long do I keep coming to church? How long do I study my Bible? How long do I preach the word of God? How long do I write sermons? 
After serving, how long do I do that? Until there's nobody left. Until it all falls apart until the end. That's how long you do it. But I don't want to do that. Okay, Hosea, are you still wanting to do it because God loves them that much? Will you still work? Will you still labor? Will you still cry? Will you still pour your heart out? Even though they may not listen. Even when they still might want to fall. Will you still be faithful amongst the unfaithful? That's what I'm calling you to. That is what God would have for us. Father, Lord, this message wrecked me. It tore my heart. Lord, it breaks my heart to watch people fall away from you. It breaks my heart to pour the word of God out and people not listen. But Lord, I pray that not just me, but all the faithful remnant in the room will not be discouraged by this, but to be encouraged. Lord, that we're willing to be faithful amongst the unfaithful. When it seems like everybody else is going into apostasy, Lord, we will stand and we will obey and we will do what is right to the last man. Lord, we know how the story ends. We know how the book ends. Lord, we, we know that it ends with our removal. May we meet out the cause for the removal. May we be faithful amongst the unfaithful. In the name of Christ I pray. Amen.